Good morning. Good to be with you all. So before I read our scripture for this morning, I just want to give a little bit of an um, introduction to give some context for where this fits in. And this little passage that we have before ourselves today is, um, it sometimes gets missed in all the exciting happenings in Acts. Um, and it's part of the beginning section of Acts. It's where the Christian community is newly being formed. And it's right after Jesus' ascension and the Holy Spirit pouring out on his people in Acts 2. And then in Acts 3 and 4, we see Peter and John carrying on Jesus' ministry. And just before this passage, um, Peter heals a crippled beggar and in Jesus' name. And he also preaches about Jesus and his resurrection power. And the authorities do not like this. And so they call Peter and John to them and actually arrest them. And then they threaten them. Um, arrest them overnight and let them go the next day, but threaten them not to to speak anymore about Jesus. And of course, they reply um, that they cannot stop speaking about Jesus. They must obey God rather than men. So this is where our passage picks up. Peter and John return to their community to tell them what has happened. Now listen for how the community responds. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. So our passage for today really gives a window into the early Christian community's response to threat. And it also gives us a beautiful model for prayer. It might be helpful in connecting with these early believers if we first think about where we feel threatened today. Um, You might even think about threat of safety and health, you know, in our global pandemic, or or maybe um, 
how we experience, you know, um, a culture that is unwelcome to some of our, our Christian beliefs. Maybe you can think of another kind of moment in your life where you felt under threat of some kind. So what often is our natural human response to threat? I think it partly depends on our personality, right? Um, some of us um, may retreat in the face of threat. Some of us tend to lash out. Um, others to worry and fret. Or some combination of all these, right? But here, these Christians respond to threat with prayer. A prayer for boldness that is answered immediately as the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So let's look at this prayer um, in a little more detail, which I find to be really inspiring and challenging for us as the church today. So first notice verse 24. When they heard this, they raised, raised their voices together in prayer to God. Their immediate response was prayer. And then this word together is important. So together, praying together could literally mean that by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, they were praying the same words in unison, kind of like at Pentecost when they were praying in other languages, you know, some kind of a miracle. Um, Or it could be part of a prayer that was familiar to them, that they'd known, that they had liturgy, um, that they all knew, kind of like when we say the Lord's Prayer together. Or one person could have been leading out in prayer and the rest praying in spirit with that person. And that's something we often do, right, in in church or in a small group when one person leads out in prayer and the others pray along with them. Um, Just this past week at Krista Ministries, where I work, um, I was leading people in a prayer walk, and we were just walking around campus to different buildings, and different ones of us would speak out a prayer as it came to mind or as we felt prompted, and the others would be praying silently with us. But really, that is the beauty of one person leading out because we know what that person is praying so we can join in in mind and heart. And so I think that um, the important point here is the sense of the unity of the believers in prayer, just the power of praying together in one heart and mind in the Holy Spirit. So you might think of other places that you've experienced that. Um, Maybe even at a time praying with your friend when you were totally united in spirit for praying for a certain situation, um, you know, or, or person that you were had concern for. And this deep unity in prayer is made possible by the Holy Spirit. And it's something that's just as available to us today as it was to these early Christians. So now um, to the prayer itself, which, by the way, um, is really the only act, um, actual prayer we have of the early Christians recorded in the book of Acts. So it's a, it's a little treasure. And it provides a wonderful model for our prayers. It has four parts to it. The first part is praise to God. The second is scripture. The third is connecting the scripture to their particular circumstance. And the fourth is in making their request in line with God's purposes. So first, the first part, 
Verse 24, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they begin their prayer with worship. They're praising God together as we have done this morning. And I think worship, as I'm sure all of us here have experienced, is reorienting. As these believers faced threats by human authorities, they are remembering who is the authority of authorities, who is the king of kings, who is the creator of all, the entire universe. So turning to God and reminding ourselves who the creator is, who is in charge, whose hands we are in, whose children we are, This perspective of worship can change how we see things and how we see our particular situation. And this in itself can change our course of action as we are drawn away from fear, the fear of whatever threat might be before us, and moving toward trust in God. So think about times that you've acted out of fear rather than trust. And I know the case with me, um, you might discover that your action probably is different (laughs) than if you had responded out out of that trust. So the challenge for us, which can be very challenging in our daily lives, right, is to invite God into that space between trigger and response, right? When something whether it's a threat or just some kind of strong emotional response, negative response, before just our default response, if we can pause for a moment and offer that in prayer to help shift us. That's not easy, not an easy practice, but something we have to be intentional about. The second part of this prayer is simply praying a scripture verse. Verses 25 to 26 is a quotation from Psalm 2, 1 to 3. Why do the nations raise and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So the immediate context of this psalm was in David's time. And it's a situation where there were plots against the king, David, God's anointed one. And you can see... um, how this, these early Christians would have connected with this in their own situation where they are feeling threat um, to God's anointed or, or just the rulers going against God's purpose. And then um, we'll talk in a minute about how they then apply that to Jesus. But first, let's just think about how powerful it can be to pray the word of God in a situation that we're facing. Um, it can be very powerful um, even starting with the scripture verse when you're praying with a group of people and using that scripture to kind of guide your prayer. Or it can be helpful, as I'm sure some of you do, is to memorize verses that are especially helpful in challenging situations. And then you can just offer those up as a prayer wherever you are, Um, whether it's in the grocery store, in the car, in the middle of a conflict, (laughs) Um, wherever you might need it, whether you actually speak it out loud or just remember it um, silently in your heart to help shift you. A third part of the believer's prayer is that they um, apply the psalm first to Christ and then they apply it to their own situation. So verse 27, 
Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So first, the early church finds in this psalm another layer of meaning beyond you know, its original context with David. They have learned, actually from Jesus himself, how to interpret the Old Testament through the lens of Christ. And so they're seeing Christ as the ultimate anointed one, the king of kings. And so the rulers and the people they see as those who came against Christ in the crucifixion. And then they pray this amazing statement of trust in God's sovereignty or supreme power. And that connects back to them praising God for being sovereign in the beginning of their prayer. Verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Wow. So the most wicked possible act in human history, crucifying the Son of God, was part of God's own plan. In God's hands, the most evil evil human action becomes God's most glorious act of love and victory and salvation. Given this, what might God do with the threatening situations in our lives? It's with this kind of trust that the early believers pray, lifting up their situation to the Lord. And lastly, Part four of the prayer, the believers make their request. Now that they've been oriented toward God's purposes through their praise and through the scripture, they're able to pray with courage and in line with God's will, rather than being focused on their own interests. In verses 29 to 30, they ask for God to empower them to do the very things that Peter and John were threatened not to do. To speak God's word and to heal and perform wonders in Jesus' name. Rather than praying for the threats to stop or that God would protect them, they ask for boldness to face the threat. For boldness not to allow any threat to stop them from speaking out the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an example to us. I know that many times my prayers are more dominated by, you know, help in struggle, protection, um, just getting through something, um, and not necessarily for boldness in a challenge so that God's word can go forth. And then our passage concludes with an immediate response of God to prayer. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This this is like a mini Pentecost here. The Spirit himself comes in answer to their prayer and enables them to speak the word of God right then and there. They are already, already experiencing the boldness they prayed for. Rather than be shaken up by threats, how much more amazing to be shaken up by the Holy Spirit. 
sign of shaking is to experience his power pouring through us. His fire, his light, his love, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's what these early believers were experiencing. What greater gift can God give us than the gift of his own very self, of his own spirit? So let's think again about what is challenging in our own contexts. Especially if we consider that we want to take seriously our mission in the world, our calling to be Christ's followers. Might there be threats to our image, to the status quo, to our comfort zone, um, something in a relationship that might need to change, um, to the way we're accustomed to doing things, to how we have our plan laid out for for our future. Um, Can we see places where the boldness of the Holy Spirit within us is needed? Maybe in the office, out on the field, at home, in our communities. Boldness doesn't mean being harsh or obnoxious or lacking in gentleness and humility. But boldness is allowing the truth to enter in, to break into the situation. It's going there, going there with the truth of Christ. Spoken in different ways, depending on the situation and where the Holy Spirit is nudging us. So it's a Holy Spirit-inspired boldness that speaks the truth in love. It might mean being honest in a relationship Speaking up to your peers at school or work when something is not right. Choosing not to gossip or criticize. And instead to bring humility or hope or grace or compassion into a conversation. Kind of elevating that conversation. We're risking to pray boldly for someone for healing. Um, Or for transformation, sometimes it might feel awkward, we don't know how to pray, but just taking that risk to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to help us pray. Sharing openly about our faith with others, um, friends, acquaintances, even strangers at times, if the Holy Spirit nudges us. Um, Especially, you know, in that fear of like, well, what will they think? Or I don't know if they agree with what I believe in and, and just trusting God's Spirit in that. Or maybe it might be in the form of um, you feel the Holy Spirit nudging you to begin some new form of ministry, uh, maybe even coming out of this church to our surrounding community. But whatever the case, wherever the Holy Spirit is leading, God longs for us to come before him in our weakness, our fears, our insecurities, asking for the gift of the Spirit for boldness, for the work given us. And God will answer our prayers by giving us himself. And we will still struggle, even fall back on our own defaults or handle handle a situation awkwardly. But as we continue to practice this, to pray for the Holy Spirit to work in and through us and then take that risk of stepping out, we'll find that we are being transformed and used of God.
So then, may we, like our early Christian ancestors in the book of Acts, choose to unite together in prayer. First, by praising God for who he is. Second, remembering scripture. Third, interpreting our situation in light of Christ's purposes. And fourth, asking for the Holy Spirit to come. And may we be amazed to experience Holy Spirit boldness pouring through us in big and small ways, meeting us right where we are. May it be so for you and for me, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.